Uh, Lauren Steimer is a, a lecturer and associate professor um, of film and media studies um, in South Carolina University, University of South Carolina. And this, I'm sharing a page from her bio, and it says Steimer's current book project addresses the manner in which cultural policies, economic climate, and industry structures affect the trained laboring bodies of martial arts performers and the way that the spectacle that the spectacles that these artists produce are changed by such structures. Her recent work on stunt workers in transnational media industries has been published in Discourse and the Transnational Star Reader. Her areas of specialization are Hong Kong action cinema, film exhibition history, stardom, labor, and the body. She's taught classes on Hong Kong cinema, Hitchcock, contemporary British television policy, the musical, action heroines, moving image pornography, and new Hollywood cinema. And uh, she's taught in Irvine before, and now she is in South Carolina. Lauren, hello, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm all right, actually, I'm good. It's, um, it's, it's great to talk to you. I mean, we've met, we've met a few times, but we've only really ever said hello, because we've yeah. both been rushing around in conferences. So it's great to, like, to, to get some time to chat face-to-face. Um, -face. Absolutely. I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to be asked. <laughs> so, I mean, I saw your paper that you gave at the Martial Arts Studies Conference in uh, California last, almost exactly one year ago. Yes. Actually. And it was just absolutely fascinating stuff about, it's like everything about stunt workers, <laughs> stunt workers in martial arts, stunt workers in training, stunt workers in the law, stunt workers in you know their careers and everything. So, so uh, I guess the first question is, what got you into stunt into stunt workers? Okay, uh, well, it's a kind of I guess it's circuitous. Initially, in the in the in the early nineties, um, I was in college and I was at NYU in New York, and you know a lot of the um, Hong Kong martial arts films of the time, truly exceptional martial arts films, were still making their way to the city, to Chinatown, and being screened locally. And there was a lot of attention being, being paid to them. So I uh, started to love Hong Kong action cinema greatly. Uh, and then when I progressed to my uh, PhD, uh, also at NYU, I thought that I wanted to work on uh, women in Hong Kong action cinema uh, and performance in Hong Kong action cinema. But the dissertation project changed as every single dissertation project changes from how you imagine it when you start to what you end up with. And uh, so I started to think about two really big questions. And that was um, how can film and media studies as a discipline more clearly describe action genre performance and what's meant by transnational action media. And from there, it was, it was odd, but there was an in intricate network of related queries um, in terms of the production of action film and television spectacles. So I went from wanting to talk about Hong Kong action cinema the way that some other people had, but to focus on female performance to really think about expert performance. So I started to consider the degree of training required to create action spectacles. Um, and because of my love for uh, Hong Kong action cinema, the transnational ascendancy of the Hong Kong action style and uh, those aesthetics, the ways in which they seem to move to other places and other national media contexts. Uh, and then in doing that, um, I really had to conduct a lot of research on the martial arts adept, on skilled martial artists. So I 
in order to try and talk more specifically about what happens in an action scene, when I was a grad student, I started going to martial arts classes to all the, like 40 different kinds, every kind of martial arts class I could to study the people learning martial arts, mm-hmm. um, to figure out how people are, are learn, how, the, how they're taught these things so that I could speak about what was happening uh, on screen more specifically than we had in the past in film and media studies. And in order to do that, I had to, um, I had to not talk about actors. That's just one, one of the truths. You rarely need to talk about actors when you talk about action design. But historically, film and media studies has really only talked about actors when they're talking about action. And that's highly problematic. So once I started to really want to talk about expertise in action, it became very clear to me that I don't want to talk about, I mean, as awesome as Michelle Yeoh is, I love her, but uh, I don't want to talk about the actors necessarily on screen doing the action. Uh, I want to talk about the people who uh, are really doing the most difficult parts of uh, action design and action performance. So I decided to investigate the invisible labor that is the the hyper-visible body of the stunt person that we see but cannot identify, right? We see them doing these amazing things, but we don't often don't know who they are and they're often uncredited. And very commonly stars just take credit for their work and stars will just say, I do my own stunts, which is 99.9% of the time an absolute lie. So that is my very long-winded answer to your question. Okay, so how did you kind of break into the behind the scenes of the movies? I mean, how did you get in with the crowd, with, with the companies? Mm-hmm. How, how, did, how did that come about? Okay, so uh, stunt people are really, re- first, they're so open and giving in general when you say to them, hi, I'm an academic and I want to study you. They're like, really? Really you do? And then, um, so they, they'll invite you to the places where they work. Um, I've been really fortunate in that when I went to New Zealand, Dana Grant, who's a phenomenal stunt woman, uh, had me on set uh, for Ash versus Evil Dead. She co- she was a co-coordinator for that, and she was Lucy Lawless's stunt double for that. I uh, asked Zoe Bell to come and talk to one of my classes, um, and she came and addressed everybody, took pictures with them. Uh, they wanted to kick her in, you know, pretend they were kicking her in the face. She was cool with that. So I got to interview her during that. And then when I went to uh, Ireland, and the Ireland and the UK, so when I... More recently, I've been invested in the training facilities that that stunt people are using. So I went to Ireland and I talked to the stunt guild in Ireland um, and to Ema Grady. She's amazing. And she she not only allowed me to interview her, but she allowed me to watch them train uh, young stunt people. And they set me on fire, which was awesome. Um, They're they're often so open. They're so excited that you're excited about them. Which I, which I am, uh, and they're open to bringing you in to new experiences, and that is great. They, if they can get you on set to document what they do, they, they're happy to do that. Um, they've been showing me the ways in which they train. When I was in the UK, I went to see how stunt women are trained in horse tricks. So it's not just um, traditional um, East Asian martial arts that I've been looking into, uh, but a host of different practices. And there's just an openness uh, that is exceptional. Uh, that, that's not what you experience generally when you contact actors or the actors' um, representatives. Uh, they are, with the exception of Lucy Lawless, they are not generally as 
giving of their time uh, and a little, probably a little more suspicious of an academic wanting to come in and document their work. Okay. So you've, so you, um, I guess when you, were you, when you were at Irvine and you were in, not far from Hollywood, I mean, did you get, was, are there different places you've worked that have been easier to, to gain access to the industry or is it? This is a good question. So um, yes and no. When I was in Irvine, it was certainly easier to get access to Hollywood in that it, it was, you know, I mean, a lot of people are working, in, are truly working in just in the LA area or in the, um, in the Valley sometimes. So yes, it's possible to meet with people there and there's excellent archives to do research on stunt people there. Mm -hmm. But um, since moving to the University of South Carolina, I've been really, really lucky in that I've gotten a host of grants while I've been here that have allowed me to travel. Um, I just got, they, I'm really lucky. I just got another one, but unfortunately I can't travel now. I was going to yeah. do some more stuff. And the money that they've given me to allow me to travel, like I've been able to go to the places where stunt people are. So when I was in Irvine, it was great that I was by Hollywood, yeah. but since my work is on uh, transnational stunt work, I want to be able to go to all of the places that stunt people work and learn uh, and to figure out the different systems that they operate in, the labor systems, you know, the policies that are enforced or not enforced, because they'll tell you different things behind the scenes that are different than the official policy. And so um, the grants allowed me to travel to the UK, to Ireland, to New Zealand, to Hong Kong, uh, to LA a whole bunch of times where I have extended family members. Um, I was planning to go back to LA and do some more work this summer and I was gonna go to Australia and to New Zealand again and uh, Northern Ireland to study some of the Game of Thrones uh, prequel stuff that's happening and uh, the Republic of Ireland. Hopefully I was, I know a couple people who work on Vikings and I was hoping to do some research on that. Okay, so I was um, watching, I think it was a Netflix thing like last year or something and it was it, it was about martial arts films I, I, it might have been like the history of the martial arts film or something uh -huh. right? and at one line towards the end really stood out and it was someone i hadn't prepared this question i've just remembered it now so I, so that's why it's quite vague it doesn't the point doesn't it doesn't matter who said it it was it was that the question is like where will where will the next martial arts film industry be and the answer was wherever they're most lax about safety rules Absolutely. <laughs> you think that's true, yeah? Absolutely. Um, so that is very, very true. So what you see, if you track, I mean, obviously um, there are so many different forms of martial arts, but when you think about film, uh, television as well, but film in terms of ascendancy of styles, the, the styles that they were using in Hong Kong, and I don't just mean martial arts styles themselves, but I mean how they filmed martial arts, how they edited martial arts combat, uh, um, how they, uh, aestheticized martial arts combat that seems to be moving across the world I, I trace that in my um, in my book but uh, you see that the places where you can have stars um, who are stunt people and can do the action because there's no restrictions those are the places where the Hong Kong style aesthetics pop up more quickly so we saw it in Indonesia we saw it in Thailand we saw it in Indonesia so you're really looking for places where there aren't a lot of restrictions or regulations on what you can do on set because that's where it pops up. Mm -hmm. And then the, the interesting thing is that when a lot of these uh, action actors from these contexts then try to break out into Hollywood or some kind of transnational role, one, it's hard for them because right now many of them are 
Asian or Southeast Asian, and it's really hard to break into any Hollywood market if, if you're not white. Um, and uh, two, uh, they when they come over, they can't do the things that they did uh, in their own national context. So things you have these national cinemas that kind of national action cinemas or context that. Um, there are these new breakout, uh, new waves that happened all across the, the world in places where there are less safety regulations. But then when those stars try to make it more broadly, when they're working in the bigger context and there are more regulations, stunt people have to do a lot of the work for them or they have to curtail how they operate, which is, you know, we even see that with Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. um, my students always uh, say to me, They've historically said to me, um, as have fans said to me, you know, if you look at Jackie Chan's work in Hong Kong and his work in Hollywood, they're two completely different species. You can't really discuss mm. them together. And if you look at it in detail, you can see, yeah, he, he's restricted by the same things that protect me as, a, um, as an American working in, uh, in any job, mm. in that, you know, safety has to be enforced. He's an actor there and you can't hurt the actors. So he can't fall, uh, uh, I think more than six feet without a protective device on. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the case. We have places all over the world where these these action cinemas are kind of breaking out. It's happening in in Africa right now as well, mm -hmm. um, with a little bit of lax restrictions and people filming things on their own. And it's really exciting, but also dangerous. But when that stuff tries to translate to being um, transnationally marketable um, <clears throat> beyond the initial context, it kind of falters. Mm -hmm. And how uh, there's loads of questions. I, I'll see how many questions I can fit in. So how does how does um, how, your in your studies? How have you factored gender into it? Have you just done studies of women stunt workers, or have you looked at it in in terms of more complex questions than that? How, how have you approached it? So I have written a piece on women stunt workers, and initially I thought I was going to focus on women uh, stunt workers. And to a certain extent, my work is a very very strongly positioned that, that way, and I am invested in those things. Um, but uh, because this, like all of these people, are under underappreciated uh, invisible laborers, I've been interested in in stunt work um, from women, from men, from um, uh, people with disabilities, from from children. Like I've been, I've been looking at it across the board. But in terms of gender, when we look at um, female uh, stunt performance, there are very specific uh, issues that are, seem to arise in almost every context in terms of sexual harassment, in terms of being forced to do things that they weren't necessarily trained to do just so that they would fail. Um, and so that they could, uh, so that the coordinator could bring in a stunt man to put on a wig to wig up and do the job. Um, to, to uh, the lack of padding that they can fit inside their costumes because the costumes are so revealing. So they end up, you know, a lot more bruised and battered mm. because they can't, it, the rule in stunts is anywhere you can stuff a pad, you stuff a pad. But when you don't have much of a costume, mm -hmm. uh, like if you're dressed as Wonder Woman, that top part is all not protected. Mm -hmm. um, or if you have on, you know, the, those tights, uh, it's, mm. it's not protected. Or if you're wearing a skirt, but sexual harassment is a is a major problem, in uh, and has been historically uh, in in Hollywood and and in movie industries, and it's certainly a problem in the stunt industry in stunt industries worldwide. Um, though uh, certainly, uh, from what I've heard, it has gotten better uh, over the years. Uh, and in terms of 
performance, it was harder for women to break into the scene. In the U.S. context, they, uh, in the 1960s, late 1960s, they organized and formed one of their own organizations uh, because the stuntmen wouldn't let them into their organization. And the stuntmen's organization kind of controlled who got jobs. Hmm. Uh, so the women formed their own um, and tried to get work out of that. But increasingly what would happen, and this happens across the world, is that the stuntmen would hire, if they needed a woman, they'd have a friend do it with a wig. And then when they got in trouble for doing that, when they created these kind of really light policies restricting what you could do, they started to have their, you know, their girlfriends or their sisters mm -hmm. do, do the work or their daughters do the work. So it stayed in families mm -hmm. a lot. It's really difficult. It was difficult for a long time for women to get training in the industry unless they were already in a family. So mm -hmm. a lot of times these, these organizations of women started to train other young women to come into the industry. But when the jobs become more scarce, I mean, we're, we're talking about precarious labor in so many different ways when you talk about stunt people, but when the jobs are scarce, you're training people in a lot of ways to replace you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for some stunt people, uh, that is a great concern. So people are, are less likely to share their skills. But yeah. I have found going uh, to a host of different places that there are people who, who don't care about that. They're just like, what's, what's important is that the field of stunt work uh, prevails in the country that I work in and that these people do this stuff safely if we're gonna train them. And that, you know, I hope that one day that they can do more exciting things than I do. So I often encounter stunt people who feel that way as well. So increasingly you do see more stunt women enter the industry because there are some other ways they can get trained now. There are training facilities, there are guilds, there are organizations. Um, there are collections of people, and also stunt men have become, certainly since the 60s, much more willing to let women in. Often these women are trained martial artists, very commonly gymnasts, almost more commonly than other gymnasts and dancers, mm -hmm. and they just have a long history of, well, you know this as a martial artist, you become very comfortable with pain, and you become very comfortable with doing the same repeated task over and over again. So... Um, these women have entered stunt industries all over the world. We see more of that, but there are certainly some places where you see uh, less women being let in. The one thing that I've heard that stunt women, they tell me they, they hate to hear it and the guys say it all the time is now that there's so much wire work, there's just less work for women because you know women can't do rigging. And you often hear that, but women aren't interested in doing rigging. And these, this isn't actually true. I've met a lot of women who are interested in doing rigging because you, you can't just do the work and being it, be in the harness. You have to know how all of it works. You have to be part of the team. Um, but you hear a lot from some older stuntmen uh, or not so older stuntmen that, you know, there's not a, as much work for women because they can't rig wire, uh, do wire rigs. They can be in the harness, but not beyond that. But, you know, stunt women have said to me, you just wear a weight belt, you know? You're gonna jump on the wire, yeah. you're gonna pull the wire and you're gonna jump down, you just wear a weight belt. Yeah. Um, so it, I don't wanna say when we talk about gender and stunts that things are so much better because we still have the same problems we historically had. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, there are just more women working in the industry uh, mm -hmm. transnationally than there were before, and that's good. But one of the other things, and I promise I'll stop talking, you can get me to talk about this forever, but one of the <laughs> other things that limits stunt women internationally is the number of lead roles for 
women doing action. So if they're going to dump double a lot of actresses, you need actresses who are, you know, being Wonder Woman and there's one Wonder Woman, right? Yeah. You need, uh, but at least when they shot Wonder Woman, they had the roles for all these Amazons and those are all stunt women. Those are all stunt women being, being the Amazons. There's stunt women doing the work for Wonder Woman. There's stunt women uh, just acting as, as, um, as Amazons there, but that's, that's rare. You don't really get to see that that often. And then additionally, if you don't have lead roles for women, like, you know, Xena, Buffy, back mm -hmm. in the 90s, you, um, you have utility stunts and stuff in the background. And often, because those are not listed in the script as gendered roles, right? People just falling in the background or doing something because it's not a named performer. Often those were go to stuntmen and women don't get those jobs. So there's a lot of difficulty getting jobs in the industry, even though there are more women working than there historically have ever been as stunt women. So that is my long-winded answer to your question. Okay, that's, I, that's, so it's, it has a kind of political charge to it. Your, your interest is, is about like, well, hang on a second, why are these, why are these in, in, imbalances? Uh, so we're already a marginalized, kind of precarious would be the word, wouldn't yes. it? And, mm -hmm. and high yes. risk and so on. I mean, there's a whole range of questions we could talk about in terms of things like steroids and growth hormone and chemicals and insurance and medical tests. But um, I wanted to ask um, about um, how to phrase this question. In Britain, well, I was doing some research on kind of martial arts in, in Britain. And uh, not so long ago, they founded a thing called Fight School, which was a, a place for training theatrical combat. And that's not a very old institution, you know, I, I can't remember the exact dates of it. And not, uh, and, um, and I don't know if everyone goes through that, but what institutions are there for the training of the, 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 the choreographic, the fight choreography dimensions of, of a martial arts or of a stunt worker in say Hollywood or in another regional film industry that you know about? Is there, a, is there an institution you have to have a certificate from them or, mm -hmm. or not? So this is a great question. Um, and I'll talk about Hollywood in a second, but let me start with the UK context if, if uh, that's okay first. So in the UK, there used to be a regulatory board that just kind of dispersed in the last kind of two years, year and a half. Um, for, for stunt people, and you used to have you used to have to have certification. They're reestablishing it now, but it's um, weaker or different. It's having difficulties. But in any case, you had training academies in the UK because you needed to qualify in a host of different skills in order to be a stunt person. Yeah. Uh, and then you worked your way up this kind of, you were, there are three tiers to the system. It's kind of like a, you're, you're kind of like an apprentice stunt person, and then you're a stunt person, and then you're like a senior respected stunt person. It's kind of like academia, but um, more, much more difficult to get into because it's really expensive. You have to pass all of these tests in the, the UK to prove that you have the skill set. So before I move on to Hollywood, just to share with you, one of the things I found out from stunt people in the UK, working in the UK, was that even though you had to prove these things, you know, you had to prove that you were skilled in at least... Uh, one form of one or more forms of martial arts that was definite you had to prove that and it couldn't just be like box. it couldn't be traditional uh, European modes of boxing you had to do at least more than that right and uh, you may have had to other you had to include other skills like maybe you had to do horse riding you had to do climbing you had, you had to have a host of different ones but even if you were an expert in one thing we're not going to say martial arts because so many of them have to have martial arts it's just they have to have that now even if you were an expert in climbing, let's just say you were an expert climber and rigger, 
you weren't necessarily going to get called in to do a climbing and rigging job, right? They could call in somebody else. So the way the system was set up in the UK was that, you know, it was supposed to ensure safety by making sure people had these qualifications. But the way that it ended up working was in many ways, and I don't want to get in trouble here, it didn't all the time, but in many ways, much like the Hollywood system, which is that people got work because of who they know, or people got work just because they got selected because they had a particular look. I don't mean even doubling look, they just had a particular look and they got chosen for that. So the structure of the UK system was problematic, um, but you did have to have qualifications. So to jump to the American context, in the US context, no, it was a, uh, in a way a free for all. Uh, there is no regulation uh, of, the, of that kind of regulation of the stunt industry in the US. It's more of a um, who you know system, an apprenticeship system. But what I should really compare it to is the circus uh, because it inherits from the circus. The American stunting tradition inherits from the circus and from the Wild West show and the rodeo show. As um, So the circus in Europe, uh, the circus in Europe and the Wild West show kind of intersected at a certain point when people went over to pick up new performers. And those performers who worked on horseback ended up being part of these Wild West shows who made their way across the country and who wintered in Hollywood and got a lot of work doing stunts, horse stunts, uh, rodeo people and Wild West people got a lot of work doing horse stunts in Hollywood. That's why in all of those Westerns in the 40s and 50s, all of those stunt people uh, were traditionally Wild West performers and rodeo performers. Okay. Now, in the circus system and in the Wild West system, it's real. The apprenticeship system is really a family system. You train people in your own family. It's like um, being a blacksmith and training your son to be a blacksmith, right? So, um, because you move together across the country as a family, you just you train them in your skill set, much like um, martial arts families in China, kind of trained each other in their skill set. So um, in Hollywood, that tradition stays and it's still in there in that uh, there's prominent stunting families who pass down certain skills. Now the skills have evolved greatly over the years, but what happened is that people would hire their sons and daughters mm -hmm. and their friends' sons and daughters, um, mostly sons, much less daughters. Mm -hmm. And they would, sometimes a, a new guy would be coming up and they'd train him. Um, you know, he'd be a friend or a young guy and they train him and they help him get into the system. And that's how it worked for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And it works similarly now, except that um, often people find each other sometimes at prominent martial arts academies. Sometimes um, there'll be major gymnastic uh, teams that they kind of scout out. Uh, but there's there's limited roles and there are a lot of people who want to be stunt workers. Mm -hmm. So you really work your way up kind of as an apprentice under young, uh, under older stunt performers, mostly men, sometimes women, and you try and get into a collective. Mm -hmm. um, if you can find a group of people who will work with you, like if there's, so we talk, and in my presentation, I talked about a lot about 8711 because they're incredibly prominent in Hollywood and all over the world right now. So 8711 in, um, in Hollywood, they, they do a lot of the stunt work, the choreography for big action films, for Avengers films and the like. Mm -hmm. And um, they're a good example of how this works. So it's a smaller collective. There's no regulation. They're not a training academy. They, they, give, uh, they do give uh, like judo classes for free, sometimes on, on the weekends and the like, and they do train up their stuntmen and they have a gym there and the like and stunt women. But uh, when we look at them, we see that the guys who run that, um, 
they ended up pulling in some of the other um, people who were teachers at the Insanto Academy, right? Mm -hmm. Because those guys were at uh, the Insanto Academy. And then they met other young, really talented martial artists there and brought them in. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just, uh, it no longer was about like, who is your son or daughter, but um, who is in your network that you work with? And they bring them in. Instead of simply, you know, people, instead of people having to pass a series of tests, um, older stuntmen and stunt women, they vouch for you. They say you have the skills. And then you go in and then you do a whole bunch of like maybe bit roles if you're lucky. And you just try and keep getting work based on your network. Okay. Uh, but it's different all over the world. In Ireland, I promise you I'll stop talking. But in Ireland, they, um, they, it was kind of a, 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 a they weren't sure how they were going to go in Ireland. They weren't sure if they were going to go with the American system or the UK system in terms of lots of regulation or no regulation. And they're adopting um, more regulation in terms of the way that the UK was set up. They're, they're trying to establish a series of qualifications that you have to have, or at least a tiered system. But in Ireland, at least, they have the Stunt School Ireland connected to the Irish Stunt Guild. And they're, you know, they, they actively train people. They, which is different than just, you know, helping people out on set. They take these students and they try and get them work in the industry. In the U.S., we now have a whole bunch of training schools and a lot of them are BS. A lot of them are just, you know, they tell you they'll get you work as a stuntman or stuntwoman in the industry. That's not going to happen. There are not enough jobs, but people want to be stunt people. So they go and they do these things because then they are like, well, I've been in a wired harness. That's great, but they need someone who's done that repeatedly. And for that to happen, you usually have to work in the industry for a long time and to you know, know people and have a network. So a lot of the stunt schools here, um, they really take people's money and they really don't do much for them. But in New Zealand, um, Dana Grant and her husband run an amazing stunt school. And uh, there's, there's some in, there's, a, um, there's an outstanding wire work school in Australia. And um, what the stunt school in Ireland is doing is just amazing. They, they're, you know, they're teaching them driving, they're teaching them wire work, they're bringing in uh, the people who coordinated the wire work and the shooting for like the, the Jason Bourne movies. They have workshops, they have fall workshops and all of that, but high fall, just in case that's not clear, workshops, all of that's just exceptional. So there are places where stunt schools are incredibly important to the industries and highly linked to the industries. And then there's the U.S. context, where it's really mostly who you know. But before I stop talking, I just want to say this one thing that I think you'll find interesting in terms of martial artists finding their way into the industry. Yeah. So in the U.S. context, when we look back to the 80s and 90s, there are a lot of there are some martial arts films, Hollywood martial arts films, really much low budget. Back then, martial artists used to do their own kind of coordinating. They didn't call it coordinating then. They'd be on set with the actor, and right then on the set. The martial artist would decide, okay, I'm going to do this to you and I'm, you're going to do that. We're going to re reply in this way, you know? Okay. Um, they coordinate it right there on the spot. They decide, okay, this is how the fight's going to go because the directors have nothing to do with it. And it's an action film, so there's going to be a fight. Yeah. Um, and they coordinate it right there. And then some guys kind of got known for that and started to get more work. But in the 80s and 90s, being a martial artist in the stunt industry in Hollywood, like nobody wanted you to do that. No, that was, that was like lower, lower tier B movie work. 
Okay. So you weren't really hotly desired. In 1999, when The Matrix came out, that really changed techniques in Hollywood. That changed the way the system operated, how they film things, and the importance of the action coordinator. And after that, after 99, uh, being a martial artist becomes much more important in the U.S. context to stunt work. And that's where I'll stop. Wow. Okay, so 99 the, is, the, is the big year. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, how, how, in, in terms of The Matrix, how, much, how many of the team uh, were brought over from, from Hong Kong or, or other industries? So um, it, it really de depends on where they were filmed. I mean, they were doing a lot of it in Australia. So um, uh, Yen, Yen Wuping, uh, he brought over guys from his own team, uh, guys like Tiger Chen, mm -hmm. um, some others as well, who, you know, who are now actors, action stars. Uh, to do the stunt work, and they did a host of previs work. Uh, you have to see the previs work online, the um, pre-visualization of the fights for the Matrix. Everyone, go look for them. If you're watching this, go look for them. They're amazing. But um, if you look at them, it's really shot for shot. Uh, so they brought in a part of their, I mean, he brought in his general team of stuntmen, uh, but a lot of the stunt team, all of the doubles uh, for all of the major doubles for the Matrix are not uh, not from Hong Kong. They're they're um, people from Hollywood. They're they're people from Australia. Uh, and two of the major stuntmen, uh, one of the major stuntmen who doubled for Keanu, ended up starting eighty seven eleven. Uh, and one of the other stuntmen who worked on those films also is a co founder of eighty seven eleven in Hollywood. Um, so those two guys and a host of other stuntmen, uh, uh, less so stunt women for the matrix ended up learning how, what the Hong Kong system looked like by working on that film and then adopting the Hong Kong system, which is that the, that you have a master, right? You have a master on set who is the, the action coordinator in Hong Kong. Sometimes they like to call them the action director who's in charge of, uh, not just coordinating the fight and how people interact with each other, but blocking, shooting, uh, giving suggestions as to how it should be edited. Mm -hmm. And that is very, in the Hollywood system, that's not how it worked before. You were just like, you, you, you decide how you, you hit each other and you're, you're lucky you get to do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it really changed after The Matrix because people started to see that like, if you bring in these action experts, they can figure out your angles better, your shots better. Because prior to this, and even still now, you find that a lot of stuntmen and women will say, okay, so I coordinated the scene mm -hmm. and I didn't have control over the, um, the editing of the scene or the camera placement of, of the scene. Or mm -hmm. they let me say where the camera should be positioned, but I didn't have control over editing. And then it got completely chopped up in the final version. Yeah. Um, so you have a number of coordinators got really frustrated with that. And now you find um, coordinators. So for example, um, uh, Chad Stahelski and uh, David Leach, who worked on the matrix and, and um, are the co-founders of 8711 coordinators who are trained under the, now the Hong Kong system from, from the matrix and decide about camera placement and editing and teach the people working under them that they don't just need to know about how to choreograph a fight, but how to shoot it and how to edit it. And everyone needs to know how to act as well. Your stunt people need to know how to act and really play to the camera and sell, sell the hits. Um, they're able to, to 
uh, put out previses that you know get them jobs instantly in the industry. Everybody knows their name. So now increasingly, um, stunt groups that want to make a name for themselves, that want to get their team members more work, they need to know not just uh, how to choreograph excellent action in terms of you know really inventive use of different martial arts styles, but they also need to know like they need to be filmmakers. And that's what they're, they're training the kids for in Ireland now. Uh, they make people really conscious of that in New Zealand as well. So you've really seen a major industry shift since you had small groups of Hong Kong people working on the Matrix and people seeing you know, how, that, how that works, done people seeing how that operated. They were smart enough to take note of what uh, they were doing and to implement that. You see it in, in Ireland as well. I talked to Emer O'Grady about, um, she worked on Badland, Into the Badlands. And they had uh, teams of Hong Kong people, some Hong Kong people working on that too. And she said, you know, it's a completely different system. Zoe Bell mentioned the same thing, that they're just very fast. It's a very different system. Like they, they get you into the harness. It's a, a different setup. It's people. Um, it's also people doing the rigging and pulling the wires. You have wire pullers traditionally in the Hong Kong system, whereas uh, in Hollywood for a long time, you had a lot of automated wire stuff. So the reason why you see a lot more flexible people flying around the screen instead of Superman, instead of Superman, um, is because of that shift to the way that people operated in Hong Kong, not just in front of the camera doing the martial arts, but behind the scenes in terms of how people get wired up and who's doing the labor there. Okay. Um, which, um, so, so what you're saying is it looks like from my end, it looks like I've set on fire now. So it looks like I'm on fire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Um, so you're saying that I mean, there's different. So we're dealing with kind of invisibility, aren't we? So in the British system, there was a they tried to put in in place measures that would guarantee a level of professionalism. But what they they kind of proletarianized it. Mm -hmm. And then in the US system, you've got you've got it's it's who you know. You have to be in the net. You just simply have to be in with the in crowd. But now you're talking about much more of a media-driven logic where you have to already present yourself online and, and your company has to have the, the image, the PR. The, the, so people go, we need those slick dudes who can do this amazing, this amazing stuff. Yeah? yeah? Absolutely. In fact, you see a shift that happens, even if you wanted to do just like a study of YouTube or a study of uh, stunt marketing sites, which I encourage other people, please do this work. Um, but if you look, there's a shift that happens. People used to have reels. That used to be what you did. You had your stunt reel of all the things that you did, either some stuff you did while you were training or all these little bits that you did and you put it together and you put like some pumping music to it and you sold yourself that way. People don't do reels anymore. You often hear when I interview a stunt person and I'm like, oh, can I see your reel? They're like, I haven't updated my reel in and then there'll be like two years, three years. Mm -hmm. People don't really do reels anymore. People do previs work. Um, so, which isn't to say there aren't reels, but you don't just, people don't update those as often. So they shoot, they'll either completely improvise a new scene for an, um, uh, an imagined film, or they'll, uh, redo a scene from a film that's been done before, or they will, if there's a, uh, they, if they're really smart and they want a job in the, and they know that there's a script that's out there for something that's coming out, let's say they know some Avengers movie is coming out yeah. uh, and it hasn't been, they, they haven't done anything for it yet, it's still in pre-production, 
then they'll put out a, you know, a, a previs of an Avengers fight. But you can see it. Um, I hate to keep redirecting to 8711, but I know their previses are online. Other people's are as well. Look far beyond 8711, but they have their, their fight for when they wanted to get the Wolverine. Um, the, that, that's online. You can have a look at that, you know. Uh, for when they, uh, the previous they did for Serenity, the Joss Whedon, I shouldn't call it Joss Whedon, the 8711 thing. Yeah. That, uh, that is, uh, you can see that, but feels less about the me, 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 and like, here are all the things that I've done before to get you an individual job. And uh, they're putting out more, look at the ways in which I can coordinate, and I know camera placement, and I know editing. Um, and look how I can already present to you something professional. So you see that shift happen. Um, and it's also something that happened after the matrix. Like I've, everywhere I've gone, I've asked some people, so when did pre-visits happen here? When did they start? And they're like, oh, how long have we been doing that? And you find it's something that kind of, it came in. It's, it's, it infiltrated their system through other movies, uh, through people from other uh, national contexts that come in and shoot a movie there. And they just become more accustomed to that. And really, they were doing previous work on Hong Kong films. Well, not always, but often they were doing this previous work on Hong Kong films because the people who had been selected to do the action design were so respected. And that also connects, as I know you already hear, to martial arts culture and the difference for, of the difference, right? Because you have a great respect for these masters who have been doing this job for a long time and who um, you treat differently on spec. Yeah. Yeah. I think my internet's going. Set um... in Hong Kong, then, then the action guys were. Oh, I think that, um, Lauren, I think that my internet is letting us down. Like I said, it might. Oh no! I'm getting, it's, I'm getting messages saying unstable connection, and I've, it looks like I'm on fire, and we just we lost the last probably three or four points that you made. Oh no! Um, so I'm getting a bit worried <laughs> about the situation. Should we try again? And and, yeah. and if, if it falls out, then 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 if the connection goes, then so be it. But okay. but make, could you make the last couple of points again? You said I, you said I know that you'll be interested in this, and then okay. you're silent. <laughs> Sorry. So I uh, yeah I know you'll be interested in this. So in the Hong Kong context, um, you, I think it's best that one understands martial arts cultures in, in uh, Chinese martial arts cultures and uh, specifically martial arts cultures in Hong Kong in order to understand how the industry operated differently there and how that's affected production elsewhere. So on set coordinators who were action directors in Hong Kong, they are these greatly respected entities, these martial artists who have been doing this for, for decades, right? They are truly martial arts masters. Yeah. Um, they, and because of that, when they come on set, they are treated with this great respect. And that also, that, that's why they're allowed to say, I think it should be edited this way. I think it should be shot this way. They don't even have to say, I think, you yeah. know, they're just, they say, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. They make that plan in advance for how they're gonna do it. And then the director works with them, you know, very different than the American system. In the American system, there is not this tradition of respecting martial artists. There's even not this tradition of respecting, there's a very short tradition now of respecting martial artists on set in terms of action design, right? As I talked about, the 80s and 90s were very different. That was low budget work. So 
it took a lot. Um, and it's still happening now for, for directors to say, you know what, the action coordinator should make decisions about how this should be shot and how this should be edited. Uh, the action, we're going to give them the leeway. So that's a cultural shift that's, that's still happening in Hollywood. And it's happening because of the matrix. Um, and that's about the difference in martial arts cultures in these two contexts, not just national, not just in terms of uh, the Chinese martial arts or Hong Kong martial arts context in the American, but also industrially in terms of martial, martial arts cultures and the placement of martial artists within those cultures historically, right? Mm -hmm. And how, how, they, how they're treated and the kind of, um, how the where the institution positions them. Do you know what, Lauren? This is the most absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, I, I really, I love the fact that I have turned into a into a, a flaming CGI monster with a with a stunt person crawling across the bonnet of a car. Um, but I'm really worried about my internet connection. It's very cool. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really worried about my internet connection. I wonder if if I should thank you at this point, and and maybe we'll 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 arrange to talk again sometime soon about more things to do with stunt workers and, and your research. Um, Cause I really don't want this to end too abruptly. I want to, I want to, um, I want to thank you ever so much um, for talking to me today. You're very welcome. I'm so thrilled uh, to get a chance to talk to you. I, uh, I've enjoyed this so much. Uh, I love your work. I love the, I love the martial arts studies conference, the journal, you are doing exceptional work and it's great to be a part of this. Thank you so much, Lauren. Um, I, I think next time we'll talk about, we'll talk about the history, uh, different points in history of, of, of stunt workers. We'll talk about specific films maybe, but I, I, yeah. definitely, I definitely want to talk to you more about this, but I also don't want this to end abruptly. So I'm going to say thank you very much, Lauren Steiner. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs>